You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. And let's turn our Bibles over to the Song of Solomon. And we will be uh, around chapter 3-ish. That's where we're hanging. I got a little lost in that worship, and I'm kind of trying to gather my mind around where we're going. I just, that was, uh, sometimes I've, I forget I'm going to speak. I, I, I do. I, I'm like, I'm in a worship service, and may this never end. That's where I go in my mind. I just don't want to leave where I'm at with the Lord. And then, um, I don't know, that last song, I got, I got to come up here, so here we are. If you're new here, uh, our online audience as well, we are opening up a, a poetic book. It's a love song. It's what is labeled here by Solomon, who penned down over a thousand songs. It's, it's the song of songs. It's like the top of the charts. Now, we don't open it up and sing it we don't sing it in the Hebrew. We don't sing it in the English. We don't sing it. We read it. And as we read it, read it it's like many songs. It's, it's written in a, a poetic structure. There's a flow to it. At the same time, there is a storyline to it. We talked about in the introduction that there are some who approach the study of this, this song, this poem, and they, they do so... And they, they look at it in the sense of symbology or, or its symbolism, excuse me, or its typology. And the nation of Israel, for instance, as they would read it, they would look at it as a, a very clear love letter between God and the nation of Israel. Many of the early church historians uh, or, or scholars, I should say, who wrote uh, and, and early writers wrote uh, they would say, no, it's, it's more of a, a love story between, you know, Jesus and his bride, the church. And all of that fits. And as you go through this, it, there, there's, it's rich with that kind of application. For the single people, they could look at this and say, I can see, you know, God as, you know, the husband in this relationship that I have. And, and we can understand the depths of God's love for us. But as we noted, we would be going through it in a, a literal sense because there are actual literal people that are, are in love. They really did court. They really won over each other's hearts. They really fell in love. And they really went about it God's way. And, and so they're talking about that. There's the bride and she's Solomon's as we believe his first wife and she's not named by her first name she's named throughout the song by the location that he first saw her in the town that she was raised up north the northern part of Israel up by the Lebanon border a town by the name of Shulam so she goes by the Shulamite and, and then it's the, the beloved and the beloved. And it's this whole back and forth between them. And there's, at times, 
They're just reflecting upon when they first met. At times, they're reflecting upon their wedding. At times, they're reflecting upon marriage in general. Tonight, they're going to be reflecting upon their wedding night. And so, it might get a little fuzzy in this room tonight, in, on, in, in online. It's, it, it's very intimate. It's very personal. There's nothing, as we open up God's Word and we talk about God or any part of you know, what God had planned for our life, any part of creation, any part of the plan of redemption, any forming or developing or discussion or direction for any of his institutions, there's no shame. None. It's sacred. Anything that God has done is sacred. Anything that God has created is sacred. Why is it when we come to the topic of sex, we talked about, that we're a little bit awkward even as Christians? When we first even said we were going into the Song of Solomon, a lot of the comments and stuff were, were, were just the kind of joking we have amongst us as Christians. And, and the reason that we, we do that in the sense of, oh, that's going to be you know, a challenge, or, oh, are you going to go you know, like really into the romance? And we're, 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 we're reserved even as Christians because of what the world has done with what God has made. What God has created for Adam and Eve, and we enjoy to this day, marriage, the institution of marriage, and sexual intimacy that is designed for the confines of marriage, one man, one woman coming together in the confines of what God, you know, brought together in Adam and Eve, that union, that relationship in the garden that God created, and everything that he said should be in their roles in their function, in the act of procreation, which sex, of course, uh, was designed for that and for pleasure. It was designed to create and sustain intimacy and oneness that no other relationship on the world would ever experience between human beings. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's nothing to be red-faced about even as a Christian. It's nothing to blush about even as a Christian. It's something we should celebrate. It's something we should pursue. It's something we should understand. It's something that we should teach. But to teach the book of Solomon, Song of Solomon literally and passionately, I would say in, in an adult setting like this, it would, it would be taught one way, and maybe in the younger generation, it would be taught in a different way. And then on down to the, the little kids, we would be giving rich application about who God is in their relationship with them. But we're adults here. Amen? And so we're, we're talking as such. So King Solomon goes up north. He dresses as we would describe here, we hear described in this this letter, this poem, as a, as a shepherd. The Shulamite woman is working the, the fields of her parents, working the vineyards. They see each other. There's an instant attraction, maybe even a first love kind of thing. Whoa. And Solomon doesn't give in right away to letting her know who he is. He leaves some hints as to how she might find him. And, and eventually he's going to go back and he's going to reveal who he is. He's going to court her. 
he's going to end up engaged with her, betrothed, like our engagement. He's going to end up marrying her. And we're going to see tonight what that was all about. Like in that culture, what was marriage like? What was the courtship like? What was it like on their wedding night? And so as they begin to, to talk and reminisce in chapters 1 and 2 about all of that, what led up to that, how they value what they have now in their, their marriage. As they're going back and forth and back and forth, there'll also be these observations made to what are called the daughters of Jerusalem. And those are, if you're new to this, maybe you, you haven't heard this yet, it's important because there's reference to these daughters of Jerusalem. And the daughters of Jerusalem are they're, they're her friends. They are single. They are not married. They haven't been married. They were her bridesmaids. And so she is talking to them and trying to give direction to them. And part of the direction is going to be, you, you, you just can't believe how wonderful marriage is. You just, this is amazing. And then there's, that, there's the warning as well, not just the encouragement to be married and to discover what God has for us in marriage, but the warning to not go about it any other way than God's way. And, and three times she will say that don't be quick to awaken love before it's time. And we, we referenced that, or we came upon one of those scriptures last week, and I really felt if, that we should stop for a second because it was the second time in three chapters that she had mentioned that. And basically what she was saying to all of her friends, now that I've went about it God's way, and I've discovered how, how complete I am and how fulfilled I am and how wonderful it is to be now on the other side of you know, my wedding night and now married to this amazing man that I know God brought into my life. There's the warning like, don't, do not get into any kind of relationship you know, with a man romantically, physically, sexually, before you're married. This is so worth it going about it God's way. So she gives that warning. So we, we, we just paused last week because as I was you know, preparing all of this, I was beginning to think that it's, it's easy for us here or even in our homes watching online to, to sit back and go, oh, that's so wonderful. And we root that on. Okay, I, I need to pursue that. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I want that. But at the same time, if we're honest, we know we're living at a time, living in an age where in the body of Christ, so many are struggling with that. And I don't want to just not deal with the elephant in the room. We do a lot of counseling here. We have a lot of personal, intimate relationships with people here and abroad. I, um, I have a lot of relationships with other pastors and other churches. And we know that sexual immorality is not something that is experienced solely outside of the church. And so we felt it was important for those people that are watching this Bible study and, and, and really leaning in, and if they have awakened love before it's time and are maybe currently awakening love before it's time, they're living in, a, are living in sin and they have an ongoing relationship. They are involved in sin that is tied to sexual morality. That a lot of them, because I want to do what's right, 
And, and how do I make it right? And so we, we paused. And we dealt with that last week. And we got into uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 10 through 11, where we just talked about, let's break this down, this whole idea of how we come to God because we are convicted. And I know that you know, all of my life growing up, as I'm having Bible studies taught to me as a younger guy and, and you know, young adult and now a married guy and all that, and I'm listening, oftentimes the Lord's convicting me and my mind always goes back to, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? Whatever it might be, any kind of sin. And that's important to embrace the conviction of God. And we noted that God convicts us because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And, and pursuing our flesh and the appetites of our flesh is never what's best for us. And so what do we do? We want to embrace all that God would have for us. In this kind of a setting, there will be conviction in the hearts of certain people. And he, and he convicts us that, that, that he would say, you know, agree with me. And that's what confession is all about. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we, we are convicted by him so that we would agree with him. And then as we agree with him, there has to be in our heart this Godly sorrow, like, God, you really woke me up to this. And, and there's a grief here between our relationship, a godly sorrow where Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that leads to repentance. And we broke down the several indicators that are the evidence that you truly have repented with a sorrow that is, God, I'm sorry, like God convicted you. And Paul contrasts that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 to the sorrow of the world. So there's a lot of people that are sorry for their, their sin because they see it hurts someone or the circumstances in their life got all messed up and they're sorry that that happened. That's the sorrow of the world. But that doesn't necessarily um, translate into the, sorrow, or the, the repentance that godly sorrow produces. So... All of that we went through last week. We pick up um, this evening. And uh, we are going to be in chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 6. So as we do, we're, 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 we come to the wedding night of Solomon and his Shulamite bride. Keep that in mind. Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke? Perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the merchants' fragrant powders. Remember again, his Shulamite bride was lived up north. On the wedding day, Solomon would have left Jerusalem and he would have brought his entourage. He would have traveled all the way, probably leaving very early in the morning. And by horseback and, 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 and carts and, and, and chariots and whatnot that an entourage would have taken, it would have taken some time to get up north, a few hours. But he's going up north because in the, the season of being betrothed, she would live with her parents. They were not living together. He's a king, and he could have snapped his fingers and had whatever he wanted. <laughs> but they went about this courtship God's way. And it's a beautiful picture. 
Picture this king getting all dressed up. And he's got all of his groomsmen. He's got soldiers. He's got everybody all lined up for his wedding. And he's like, we're going to go get the bride. Maybe they went the night before, whatever it was. He ends up there the day of his wedding. And as he, he, he goes there, he's going to now step into what we understand historically about Old Testament kind of Eastern weddings. The ancient Eastern weddings were usually sanctioned through civil contracts, not so much through like elaborate religious ceremonies like we have today. The marriage of Ruth and Boaz before a, a court of elders rather than before priestly officials would illustrate that it was civil rather than this big religious thing. And they, they, would, they would take place in people's backyards. It would take place maybe in an area at the center of a town, usually at someone's house, a larger house. Solomon is bringing her to his house to have this particular wedding. A central feature of a wedding ceremony was this procession. This was all part of it. You know, we, we start our wedding processions typically with everybody's in a room, you know, the bride's put on her dress, we've already done pictures, you know, and, and everybody's like prayerfully on time, and then we seat the mothers, if they have candles, this is back when we used to do weddings indoors and stuff, remember those days? You know, and then, and then the bridesmaids come walking in, and then we have a flower boy, a flower girl, excuse me, and a, a, a ring bear boy with the rings and all that. The petals go. It's just this, it's just, that's just the way we do it. And then, you know, the, the groom usually walks out with the person that officiates, such as me, and we stand here, and, and I'm telling him, relax, bro. You're, you're just, you know, bend your knees, breathe, breathe, breathe. And, 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 and all of a sudden, the doors open up, and the procession begins. That's when the wedding really begins. And man, here she comes to her song, whatever that is, and she walks down, and we do the whole, who gives this woman to marry this man? And, and it, that's how it goes in traditional Western weddings. In those Eastern settings, and many countries still do it this way, the wedding day starts. Everyone's all excited, and they go to the bride's house. And it's a formal thing. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a really, really big thing. And then they would, they would bring the bride to the, probably the father's house. They would have a wedding ceremony. And that would begin from the time he picks up his bride all the way to like that night. That would begin a seven-day wedding feast. Seven days. It's hard to keep people in any kind of wedding mode here for more than... I don't know, three hours, people are like, they're on to the next thing. Seven days. They would have the ceremony. They would whisk them away to what they called their bridegroom chamber. The house typically was something that the father and the son would build on the father's property. They would consummate their vows. They would spend the night together. They would come out the next day, and they would begin this like, Big old feast for several days. 
Though the feast was prolonged, the, the whole focus was not on the reception. It was not on, wow, we all got a week off. It was not on about, you know, the dancing afterwards. The, the focus wasn't on the event. But there were a lot of details to the wedding. The focus was on the bride and the groom. And that's what eventually here in this chapter, that's what Solomon is going to get to. There's this, who is coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke in verse 6, perfume with myrrh and frankincense with all the sacred, fragrant powders. And the idea is that the, the wedding procession, whether it's from her house or once they come into Solomon's house and this, this, this whole wedding begins, it is something that is elaborate. What at first appeared in the distance to be a great column of smoke was just, it was incense, frankincense, myrrh that was like being carried and burned in front of the procession. And the fact that all these, these incense were made from all the spices of the merchant, it's, it's an emphasizing here that this, this display, even the display was costly, it was elaborate. There was a, they invested in this. This was something that was sacred, and they were investing in this. I, I believe God is highlighting this to highlight the significance of marriage. Not just the marriage ceremony, but what's happening in this ceremony. Again, Scripture teaches us that marriage is one of the most sacred and significant events we'll ever experience in our life. Thus, it's fitting that the union of a couple be, you know, commemorated in a, a very special way. I've been really impressed this last year with uh, everything shutting down, of course. There's no venues really to be had as far as all these people who were planning to get married in the spring, a lot of marriages, and even in the winter. They came to us, and they're like, what are we going to do? Our venue's been canceled, and... And we just sat down with all of them and said, you know, just pray and, 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 and see what God will do. And part of the counsel we gave them was, look, we, we understand there's a lot of, and we're very sensitive to these type of things because there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of relatives and their input and all that involved. And we don't want to step in and, 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 and be the director of all that. We want the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom and guidance. So that's what we're doing. Just pray about this. But one of the things we said was, just focus on your lives coming together and not the plans coming together and you'll be okay. To one couple, they, they were like, well, tell me what that means because you know, they had this whole thing and it's been shut down. And this is all I told them. I said, Lance and Lori are one. Lance and Lori can do Lance and Lori anywhere. We can, we're now married and, and it's, it, our happiness is that we are Lance and Lori as one. And that's, that's, that's what's fulfilling. It's not where we have to be or what we have to do. It's who God has made us. And the sooner you can learn that, if you can learn that now, going towards your wedding, then whatever the names were, that you can do that anywhere, you see. It doesn't matter. Focus on what God is doing 
and your lives coming together. Because all of us know, we remember our wedding day, and, and we, we do see that there's a lot put into their wedding here, and it should be because it's sacred. But at the top of the list, the most important thing is what God is doing and His unifying this, this, this couple. So I really appreciated the unique ways, the creative ways a lot of these couples just, just went about it. They're like, yeah, you know, you're right. We just, just, it's just important. Our lives coming together. And one of the weddings, I, 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 they didn't know they were getting married in the foyer right in front of the cross, you know, and uh, Francelle was doing it. And I, I walked in the back, and I was like, this is, this is great. They were going to have this big old thing, and, and here they were just standing in our foyer. Uh, and, you know, we're telling all the, like, contractors working that day, hey, unplug everything. You're making too much noise. And, and, and there they were, and, and God just met them there. Because that's, that's important. We need to go about, for you single, single people here and you've yet to be married, go about every detail as you're moving towards your wedding day and just remind yourself this is a sacred event. It'll save you so much stress, it might even save you a boatload of money. Now, they elevated and spotlighted the sanctity of their marriage. And, and they did it in the way that a king could afford. Behold, in verse 7, it is Solomon's couch with 60 valiant men around it of the valiant in Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man has a sword on his his thigh, because of fear in the night of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a palaquin. Now, this is a reference where they're looking back at the time in which he picked her up, and he's, he's, he's bringing her back. The 60 warriors uh, accompanying Solomon and his, really what it is, is like a carriage, they were the friends of the groom. It was common for a groom's friends to go with him to a wedding procession. Now, these were not just his buddies or his bros that he grew up with and thought, ah, these are the guys that, you know, might, you know, look the best in the pictures. These are like the cool bros. No, no, no. These were the noblest and the most experienced soldiers in Israel. They were trustworthy men. They were men of honor. They were men of integrity. And again, for you single guys here that are like, I want to get married one day. I, I, I just, I think it's important to, to, to check this out. In the wedding, the weddings that I officiate, I give before the wedding if, the, if the, the groom is a believer, and I, I won't, as I've said before, I won't marry a non-believer to a believer. Uh, we, we've done non-believer to non-believer, and a couple of those, a few of those, but typically they come in, and one's not a believer, they're no, both of them aren't believers, and we're like, yeah, come on, in, let's do some premarital counseling, and they get saved. So almost every wedding I do, they're saved. And I, I can't tell you the, the, the number of weddings. People ask me how many of you married. It's up in the hundreds and hundreds. I don't know. But my, 
my goal in, in being part of a wedding is to help it be spiritual. And, and I, could, I could stand up here for probably three weeks and talk about the challenge of, of just being not just a guy who stands up here officiating, but being a shepherd amongst the families, helping them focus on the two lives coming together. And that is, that is very difficult. You, sometimes you have these weddings, and, and even on the, the rehearsal, you have so many divorces these days, and, you know, I, and all kinds of like petitioning going on, and politicking going on, and all kinds of weird drama going on, and, and we're like, man, we got to bring Jesus in the center of this. He's going to do something special here. And for the sake of the couple, we don't want them to be distracted by all the family drama. We want them to be focused on the Lord. So one of the things I started doing years ago is I started looking for the groom just maybe a half an hour before the wedding. And I would always just, can I, can I talk with you and, and, and your groomsmen? And the talk that I have with them is this. I don't know if you're a believer. I don't know if you're saved. I don't know if you know Jesus. But this Union that we're about to see brought together is something that is sacred. It's something that God is brought together. And they are going to need all of the love and all of the support from God through you that you could possibly give them. And so it's not just about standing with them at their wedding. Anybody could do that. It's standing with them and being a godly influence to them through their marriage. So don't you dare take this lightly. And I'll tell them, out of all of the men that were in my wedding 33 and a half years ago, two of them have stood with me. The rest of them have not. Had I known how special it was to have men that would stand with me, I would have chose different men. I would have looked for guys like David found here, men of honor, men of integrity, godly men that would stand with you. This is a sacred ceremony, but you're stepping into a sacred institution. Why would you not want to surround yourself with God's best? Make sense? So don't do what is expedient for the mother-in-law Expedient for the father and father-in-law. Don't, don't, don't buckle under all the family pressure. You start building your marriage long before you get to your wedding day by who you surround yourself with. And it's so important. And we go over this in, in our, our counseling. We go over this in, in, right before the wedding. I challenge those guys. And the guys that aren't saved, they won't look you in the eye. They just won't look you in the eye. But I say it anyway. I've done weddings where they're like, oh, the groomsmen are waiting for you. And I, it's not here, not at our church. It's been off-site. And I go back there, and they're, 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 they hand me a beer. Here. I'm like, no, 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 I, I won't be needed. No, come on, man, just drink this with us before we go up there. We're all nervous. I don't drink beer. I haven't drank a beer. I'm probably not going to start right now. They're like, dude, what's wrong with you? Filled with a different spirit. That's where it can go. This is a very sacred thing that is happening here, a very sacred thing that we are reading about here. To Solomon, having the right guys stand with him 
on his wedding day was a serious matter. Having them escort his bride from Lebanon to Israel pictures the fact that Solomon saw their role as one that would be protecting his bride as well. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man has his sword on his thigh because of of, of fear in the night. It might have been an overnight excursion. Again, a great lesson for all the would-be husbands. He should give proper thought and planning to protect his bride, protecting her physically. No one could ever harm her person, protecting her relationally. Anyone that would form an unhealthy relationship with her, friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, nah. Protecting her monetarily, protecting her emotionally, protecting her spiritually. These are all things we learn as young husbands. (laughs) These are all things we learn as maturing, growing up to be more mature husbands. Of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a palaquin. Again, it's a cart with four poles, each tended by a man carrying her on a carriage. Whatever it was, the idea is it was costly from, from the wood from Lebanon. It was also a personal investment. The king made himself, in verse 10, he made its pillars of silver, its support of gold, its seat of purple, so that this cart, this, this carriage that he made for his, his to-be bride was adorned with like the most expensive materials, materials that represented royalty. That's how he saw her. That's how he treated her. Its interior paved with love. This is interesting. By the daughters of Jerusalem. The daughters of Jerusalem were, were part of all of this. They, they helped make the interior of this carriage. I see this as Solomon's love for his bride was so sincere and so open and so obvious that it like had a very positive effect on their close friends. It caused others to want to share in his joy for his future bride and to share in his desire to bless his future bride. Within his means, Solomon provided the very best that he had for his wife. His love for her brought out his best for her. This pictures how much he valued his wife. Even today, we might say the the mode of transportation a husband provides for his wife speaks volumes. And that fact that this carriage was ready to go on the wedding day tells me that Solomon was no last-minute Louis when it came to his wedding. He was on it early. And this is What love, genuine love will do. Love will drive a future spouse to invest in their future spouse. Not begrudgingly or half-heartedly. 
love from a future spouse for their future spouse will develop a passion to invest in her. It will develop a loving atmosphere whenever they are investing in their relationship, especially their wedding. I look at this wedding and I think about some of the weddings I've seen. I'm looking at this wedding. I'm like, in my notes, I'm like, there are no bridezillas. None. Not one bridezilla here. No mother-in-laws that are laying down the law. No stressed out brides or checked out grooms. We've seen them all. No party happy groomsmen and bridesmaids that are all focused on themselves and the fun that they're going to have at the reception. None of that. If engaged couples see their wedding ceremony as a sacred ceremony that is God's doing, they will focus more on what God is doing than anything else. And when that happens, I can tell you around here, when the couple's focus is on the Lord, and and it's been on the Lord, other people around them whose focus is on the Lord just show up and make it happen. I've seen the most elaborate weddings come together with just all of these people that are like, I just want to be around this, this couple. I just want to be around this family. Their love for God and their love for one another is intoxicating. And people want to be around it. And they want to invest in that. They want to participate in that. And it's interesting because when, when the focus is on God and things fall apart at the wedding, and I've seen it happen, trust me. I've, they're like, just the joy is still there. You cannot quench that joy. I remember they came to me one time and they said, um, Pastor Lance, you need to go and maybe talk to the bride because the flowers that she was like just so excited about and all, you know, they, they, they're still not here. And they were out taking pictures. Like, oh, just give it some time. And we got call, a call right after that from another Calvary Chapel in another city saying, we are so sorry. But it was the, 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 the delivery guy. He took him to the wrong church. And he set off the alarm, and the police were there, and they wouldn't let him go, and he couldn't bring the flowers. So you know what we did? We ran, went on our, ran around our property, and we grabbed every fake plant, real plant, whatever we could, ferns, you know, palm trees, whatever. We just stood them all around the stage where we thought our flowers would be. And I walked into the room when she was getting ready, and I'm like, hey, just, just so you know, I, you know, it's all about the life coming together right now. It's all exciting and stuff. And and, uh, you know, there's been a little issue with your flowers. And she goes, oh, what kind of issue? He says, uh, yeah, it's not like a really big deal. We got it covered. We got some stuff up. She goes, that's okay. I just can't wait to see him. And it was, it was she, ne- she never took her eyes off the sky. She, she was focused. He wasn't rattled by it. She wasn't rattled by it. I don't know who got blessed with all those flowers, but somebody got blessed with some flowers too. Go forth in verse 11. O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. In the procession, Solomon wore a crown. But this was not the royal crown. The king wouldn't have wore his royal crown. History tells us This was the crown of his mother. 
His mother's name was Bathsheba. She gave it to him. And it depicted her support. It depicted her approval. It depicted her happiness. As we look at this beautiful sanctity of a wedding and the sanctity of marriage, it's not solely important that just the, the bride and the groom see it as a sacred event. But the bride's maids, the bride's, the, 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 the groomsmen, the parents, those that officiate, those that counsel, those that do sound, those that do set up, those that are doing all the food. We should all have that perspective that this is a union that is only becoming a union by virtue of the supernatural, by the virtue of God who created them, bringing them together now as one. It's nothing to take lightly. It's something to absolutely celebrate afterwards. But celebrate what God has done. And sometimes the celebrations, I can't tell you how many weddings I've done and and it's the Holy Spirit meets us up here, and then it, you know, a few minutes later, not on our property, but off the property, there's different spirits around the room. And, 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 and just every, the volume goes up, and, and everything just goes, and, 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 and oftentimes I grieve because these are just, this is the greatest opportunity to continue highlighting and platforming what God has done in these people's lives. And we just all of a sudden become like the world. We're playing every dirty song and dancing, you know, in, in ways that we probably shouldn't. And I'm not saying every wedding, but some of them go there. And, and it, it, it grieves my heart to where there was a, a number of years I wouldn't go to a wedding reception. I just wouldn't go. And I, I just think it's, it's wise for you younger people that you're looking at, you know, your wedding as you're beginning to, 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 to court someone and talk to them. How do they view their wedding? It says a lot about their spirituality. As you talk to their parents, how do they view a wedding? It says a lot about their spirituality. Do they even think about a wedding in in terms of this is sacred. This is something that God is doing. And let's walk towards that with, with that in mind. There are a lot of things that we we do here right together. A lot of things we do right. Right now, I believe this is right. When we have communion, man, we just set our hearts right. We, we have the people serving it. The, the, the people we know have spiritual depth to them and can pray with someone and counsel them and love on them and anoint them with oil or whatever. We've really got a lot of thought into this. And we approach it as this is holy, sacred ground. Imagine what would happen in that kind of Setting, and you've been in our communion settings, you know how special it is, how, how the Lord meets us there. But you go through the book of 1 Corinthians, and you're like, wow, they really got sideways with that. They got so sideways with what we do in a communion setting that in chapter 11, Paul had to rebuke them and remind them 
and take them back. This is the purpose. Where our focus is to be on Christ and his body being broken and his blood being shed. How far away did they get from that? How far away can we get from focusing on what Jesus wants us to focus on in sacred settings and make it carnal? How far away can we get? They, they turned it into a drunken feast. That's what they did. And, and we see people do that with weddings. And I just say, it, it, I believe it grieves the heart of God. And I would just caution you as you're dating and you're getting serious with someone and, and you might think it's the right one. Really look at our lives coming together. Do you see it as such? And a wedding will be a, a good telltale of, of that. Do you guys want to get into their wedding night or do you want to like, is that enough? I shouldn't ask you that because you're going to be divided. We'll end here. Because Lori's not here tonight. Where is she? She's, she's helping out with the kids. And I want her to be here when I walk through their wedding night. I want her to be in the front row. I might even have her just sit here right next to me. <laughs> I won't do that. Let's all stand. Is this application fitting? Yeah, okay. Um, and, and, and I wish, even as I look back at our wedding, I wish I knew what I know today. I would have done a lot of things very differently. I would have. It was sacred. I had the person that officiated our wedding was my best friend growing up who was the pastor's son, Robert Burnett, godly guy. We were all walking with the Lord. Lori was saved, all of that. But I was so young and young at heart and, and, and just looking at her. And I, I'll just tell you, I was really excited to, to get to the bridegroom chamber. I was. I was like, how long is the reception got to last? It's, I, you know, we, we can go. I just, I, I so bad just wanted to go and start that part and get the, the wedding night going, and, and the, the, the you know, honeymoon, and all of that. And, and I understood that it was sacred. But now, years later, when I see the amount of marriages implode because they didn't treat their marriage as sacred, I would have approached my wedding and all of that with a greater conviction of making it sacred and keeping it sacred. And so I'm just... A 33-year-old veteran married man. I've been married for 33 years. But I have, I have walked through courtship with people, engagement with people, weddings, ceremonies, receptions. I've done, I've, I've, we've done a lot. And I can tell you there is a vast difference when people understand it is sacred, it is God. It is amazing what God, what he does when he pulls together. And, and I believe it's just a huge boost into him working in their marriage as, you know, it's something you're working towards from the first time you, you someone's asked, will you marry me? And the guy better ask that question and the girl should have answered yes. Uh, I don't know if we got a couple of those backwards, but that's uh, beside the point. But typically when, when the Christian couple comes in and they're like, we're going to keep this pure. 
We're going to keep this holy. Oftentimes, I've been in the back with the guy, and you know, we're there, and he goes, just so you know, I just want you to know, this is the first time I'm going to kiss her. And I'm like, dude, that's crazy discipline. Wow, that's awesome. And then I stand back, and I could barely even watch him kiss. I just I start crying sometimes. He's kissing me the first time. Man, that's heavy. What's that wedding night going to be like? This is where Solomon's going, by the way. And for anybody here, like myself, that's been married for a while, we look back on our, our marriages and wish that there were seasons that we would have treated our marriages more sacred. Every one of us. Every single person here. I don't care who they are, would look back on their marriage, even their wedding, and go, there, there, there's that and the courtship and all that. There's, there's things we could have done better. The beautiful thing is we learn from that. We learn from that. And God doesn't hold that in, you know, on us and whatnot. We learn from that. And God, if there's sin and goofy stuff, he forgives us and washes all of that. We learn from that. And then we look at the next generation like Solomon and Shulamite White are looking at their friends and they teach them from that experience. And that's, that's just the way it is. When, when people come here to get married, it's a great interview. Are you Christians? And it's, it's amazing. They fill out the form and they bring it in and sometimes they'll look you in the eyes to love getting the ones. They go, okay, this is for you, Lance. This is, this is what you like. And it would always say, yes, we're Christians. And they have the same address. I used to love those. <laughs> and I'd sit down with them and, and just the first meeting, you know, I'd just be like, this is great. Oh, you're, 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 you have the same address. Oh, yes, yes. And they'll, you know, sometimes they don't know. They just, they're not convicted and they, they don't know the word of God. Maybe they're not saved, but they're telling you they're Christian because they like your church or they want you to do their wedding. Be surprised. And so I, I just kind of go through this little thing with them you know so you guys understand about like sex is for marriage oh yes 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 oh yes that's why we're getting married but you're living together right now is there any chance that maybe you guys are having sex right now I've had them go yeah it's awesome it's going great you know and I'm like and they look at me is that wrong well walk them through what what you know fornication is Oh, and we start there, and it's, it's not a guilt thing. It's not a, oh, oh you're fornicating, we're not going to do your wedding. We're like, look it, we're going to deal with this, and we're going to have God deal with this, and just line yourself up with his word. And, and almost all of them do. We've had some that like, ah, yeah, this is too wacko, we're out of here. But the ones that do, it's such a beautiful thing to watch that transformation. And to the guys, I've got the guys, you know, the guys are slick willies, man. They sit there like, oh, no, we're just living in the same house, but I would never sleep with her. Did you just hear what he said? Did you just hear what he said? And I, t- I look at her and I'm like, if that guy can be in the same house as you, as a single man here, and you're like taking a shower and he's not all crazy in his head, like he needs to like be with you. You do have no business being with that guy. I could never be in the same room. What do you think? No way. That guy, if he, no, 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 no. There's no way. And usually it comes out. 
Yeah, well, you know, I try and sleep on the couch, but then, you know, she takes a shower and she starts smelling good. And I, yeah, 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 I know, I know. Are we being a little too frank here? This is reality. This is, these are the kind of conversations we have fairly regularly. And we're so grateful that they're coming in and giving us that opportunity to be real with them and to open up God's word with them. And the beautiful thing is, is that no matter what sin there is, God's grace will, will reach them. God's forgiveness will, will cleanse them. God will make them right. And oftentimes we'll tell them, start right. Start a season of purity. Just go for it. And then the girls are like, yeah. And the guy's like, How, what's that mean? <laughs> well, that means you're moving out. She, you're moving out. And, and don't go over her house. I, I was so appreciative of my son-in-laws that married my daughters not going in my house when, I, when, when no one wasn't home. They just, I'd come home oftentimes, and there's, there's one of my future son-in-laws sitting on the porch. There are future brides in the house, but they wouldn't go in. And that, that, that builds me up. And, and you might be going about it the wrong way. You can stop. You confess your sin to the Lord, repent, and start going about it the right way. And you could step into a season of purity and, 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 and have that wedding and step into that wedding night just like Solomon and his Shulamite bride in a, out of a season of purity going, God has washed us, God has cleansed us, and we've made it right. And watch him meet you there on your wedding day. It will blow your mind. There's nothing like going about it God's way. And so... If you're, you guys go ahead, just read through chapter 4. And you're like, Lance is going to teach this? Yeah, we're going to teach it. He's talking like details. Because it's what God has designed for marriage. All right? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you again and thank you for your word. And are so grateful that we can be frank and candid and, and bold and unashamed. Thank you, Lord, that we can find grace in a study like this and forgiveness and redirection. And Lord, for the, the, the younger folks among us that are looking into the future and saying, I want to be you know, married, I, how, how, how helpful these insights out of the Song of Solomon, the practical things we're learning, how helpful that is. We pray we would embrace this, Lord. And to any here or online that find themselves again tonight feeling convicted and saying, man, I need to make it right, we pray that it's your love and your grace and your mercy that would grab a hold of their life, grab a hold of their heart, and they would just appreciate the fact that They've tuned in to a Bible study that is not going to be ashamed of the whole counsel of God's Word. They've tuned into a church that's not going to not teach the Word of God or bring bold, practical application. May they appreciate that and know that, that you love them and that you have an incredible plan for them. So those that embrace you right now for forgiveness, Lord, forgive them. Those that embrace you for just they, they want to have a new start in a relationship. And whatever, Lord, needs to be 
repented of and, and, and turned away from. We pray you would show them what that is and they would do that. They would step into a new season with you at the center of their relationship, a season of purity. That they would become a relationship that you could bless. For those that are maybe even engaged in there, they're moving towards that altar, Lord, we pray that, that they would be focused on the sanctity of the wedding, their marriage, and that as they move towards that with all of the plans, they would keep that in mind and stay focused on their lives coming together, what you're doing, and not be all worked up about the plans coming together. May we have more spirit-led engagements. May we have more spirit-filled ceremonies. And may we have more victorious marriages. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen and amen.